Turn with me to Exodus 17. This morning's message is Jehovah Nissi. Our ninth week through the names of God. As you're turning there to Exodus 17, when you hear the word banner, what comes to mind? Maybe a rafter in a gym, NBA champion, coming in high football game a couple weeks ago. They moved the game from Friday to Thursday because of rain and the banner the cheerleaders had said, scared of a little rain, here comes the lightning. (laughs) Maybe an advertisement like a revival or insurance or God's restaurant, Chick-fil-A. Or a flag, don't tread on me, the stars and stripes, or maybe the Olympics, or maybe you even think of a person like Bruce Banner, Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you, when you hear the word banner, does God come to mind? I would probably say for most people, never or very rarely. But it should. One of the names of God found in Scripture he uses to reveal much about himself is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And just as with the other names of God, it comes from a situation in life. People find themselves in a difficult scenario or situation requiring divine intervention. It's in that moment God reveals himself through a name that speaks directly to meeting that need in the moment. Think about Abraham needed a lamb. Jehovah Jair, the Lord who provides. David needed a giant slain in his life. Jehovah's Sabbath, the Lord is host. Israel was in turmoil. They needed peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. We all like sheep are in need of a shepherd. Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. Here, Exodus 17 finds Israel tired, grouchy, hungry, thirsty, wore out. Amalek comes, picking a fight. They need victory over an enemy. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is is my banner. And so listen to this. The bad news is life has problems. The good news is God has a name for every one of them. Each and every one of them. This name of God is found in one verse and one passage alone here in Exodus 17, 15, but it is a treasure trove of riches if we will listen to what God would mine out of it for us. And so we're going to look at the revelation, the personification, in the demonstration of Jehovah Nissi. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the mountain, or the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation 
generation. The Word of God to the people of God and the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to You today, while we pray, Jew, Father, as David said, we know the rest of the story. And Lord, we come into Your house with thanksgiving and praise on our lips because we know the King is coming. And Father, I ain't a person in here, include myself, that'll be upset if Jesus busts this guy and interrupts this sermon right now and we don't even get to hear it preached. But Lord, I pray that if it's not your will for him to come back before this word would be preached, that Lord, that you would just help me to decrease and you would increase through me and you would speak to your people today. Help us to put aside who's going to win the ball game, who's playing, what's for dinner, what's for supper, what's Monday going to hold. Help us to put all that garbage aside because that's what we need. We need to focus on you. And we need to learn not only how you were Israel's banner, but Father, how you and your precious son Jesus are still our banner today. And so I pray that you would grant that now in the power of your son. For it's in his wonderful, beautiful, precious, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we'll look at Jehovah Nissi, the revelation. First, a little context. Israel has come out of Egypt through the Exodus. A great miracle and victory. Parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Then the victory dance, so to speak. The Song of Moses in Exodus 15. And Israel loads up, moves out. They head to the wilderness of Shur. Three days without water. They come tomorrow where glory, hallelujah, they find water. Yet it's bitter as quinine. And of course they start complaining. And Israel once again loads up and moves out and comes to the wilderness of sin. The 15th day of the second month, the Bible records, and that's 30 days after the Exodus. Folks are beside themselves with hunger. God supernaturally provides them chicken and waffles. And so Israel a third time loads up and moves out, and they camp at Rephidim. And never short to, on something to gripe about, yet again complain, and this time they're literally ready to kill Moses. And so God has supernaturally provided them then instead of life water, rock water. And so think about this for a moment as a point of application. We read that 600,000 men left from Egypt. That's probably 2 to 3 million people with wives, kids, all of that. At two gallons of water a day, that would take 200 tankers, 200 freight train tankers. At five pounds of food a person a day, that would be 100 boxcars. That's 300 car long train, which would be a four mile long train to roll out into the desert every day and just to feed and water the people. Now do you think Moses had that all figured out before he left Egypt? What would we do? We would have a conniption fit. We got finance committee meeting coming up. And what do we do? Well, now, Lord, we got to have every little dime and we got to know where everything's going. We got to know exactly where you're leading us. And God's saying, let's go out and do some massive God sized thing. And let's not worry about the specifics of it. Just know I'm going with you, and that's all that matters. And so, what God sized thing might. God call us to in 2019 or 2020. 
And are we going to sit there and we're going to say, well, now, Lord, we just ain't got the money and we ain't got it. Well, I mean, we only got 30 people coming on Sunday anymore. We just can't do this. We're too small. If God can send a four-mile-long train of water and food out to the desert to feed His people for 40 years, That's right. I think He can lead Crossway to do some amazing things That's if we'll right. just have faith. We need to stop, include myself, walking by sight and walk by faith. We're not called to walk by sight. We're called to walk by faith. So that's just a little extra. That's just advertisement. <laughs> but the life lesson that Israel had to learn was, hey, we need food. Guess who's going to give it to us? God. The Lord is my banner. Well, now we need water. The Lord's going to give it to you. He is your banner. The next lesson in the lab of life, the school of faith, we need victory over an enemy. And Israel was going to learn, once again, the Lord is their banner. And so, corporately, we need to know that whatever we need, the Lord is going to give it. Whatever Crossway needs as a church, God is going to give it. And then individually, turn to 1 Peter 4, chapter 2. Y'all have heard, seen me, my little quotes that Cassie so loves and Jimmy's talked about it before. What is the quote-unquote normal Christian life? We just think it's all rainbows and skittles. We were talking earlier about the rain. How many of you like a rainy day? Unless you have nothing to do. But now if you've got something to do, hunting, something like that, nobody likes a rainy day. How many of you like to look at your 10-day forecast and it says, next 10 days, rain? Nobody likes that. We don't like when rain comes in our life. It annoys us. But why does God send the rain? Is anything going to grow without it? Are you going to have any water to drink next week if the water table doesn't get replenished? Things don't grow and things don't thrive and live without the storms and the rain in life. And Peter says, look at 1 Peter 4.12. I mean, I just hear Peter sitting there going, I mean, because y'all know how Peter is. He's got spiritual ADD. He puts his foot in his mouth. And I can just imagine some Christian coming up to him and saying, Peter, why am I having so much rain in my life? Why are you shocked that you're having problems? They crucified our Lord for heaven's sake is what I can imagine him thinking. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? Test you. This ain't something strange. And then he puts it in context of what? If Christ suffered, then put on your seatbelt because the normal Christian life is tests and trials and tribulations. In fact, James said, count it all joy. He didn't say just put up with it. If our life is that we look ahead at God's 10-day forecast for Buffy Cook and it says 10 straight days of rain, I ought to be saying, glory, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for the trials. You know why? Because I wouldn't be having them if I wasn't one of His children. Marty talked to us about being thankful this morning. You ought to be thankful for the trials. It proves, number one, that you're His kid. That's right. That's right. And so, we have 
tests and trials about the necessities of life and then also our enemies. We talked about it in Sunday school. We're pilgrims passing through. This ain't our home. We're so, but we're also soldiers. And look at what he says there in 1 Peter, if you already there, are still there, 1 Peter 2.11. Because this is going to be very applicable to Amalek. Because J. Vernon McGee says that Amalek is a picture of the flesh. Look at what he says, Beloved, in 1 Peter 2.11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as pilgrims, but also as soldiers, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Our enemies are going to attack. You better know who and where and what is your victory. Your victory, just like Israel's, is that the Lord is my banner. They had to learn that lesson painfully. We sometimes have to learn that lesson painfully. And so the question is, have we been paying attention as I talked about this morning in men's breakfast? You know, Marty's not going to test kids on when he's teaching unit one. He's not going to test them on unit four stuff. And he's not going to test them on biology because he's a math teacher. God has he's put us through and taught us some stuff. Now He's going to test us on it again later down the road and it's the same stuff and He's looking to see have we been paying attention and listening and learning. What God showed me this week is a lot of times I'm not paying attention and I'm not listening and I'm certainly not learning. And so you know what happens when the test comes around again? 50 out of 100 is an F and that's what we sometimes get. Alright, so that's kind of our context. Look at verse 8, back all the way in Exodus 17, under this revelation you're going to see the enemy, the strategy, the victory, and the testimony. But first the enemy. Look at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. In Scripture, we have three enemies. Do you know what three enemies of the Christian are? What are our three enemies? The devil, the, devil, the, world. the world, and the flesh. If you don't know that, you should. Who's our greatest enemy? The devil. He's a lion. He's roaring around. He wants to destroy Noah. He wants to kill him. He wants to kill each and every one of us. How does he do that? He uses the world and the flesh, according to Ephesians 2, 1-3, to oppose us. And like I said, J. Vernon says that Amalek here is a picture of the flesh. So that's the enemy that is being fought here is the flesh as far as application. Now the Amalekites were descendants of Jacob's brother Esau. And can I tell you, BT Dubs, some of our biggest problems come from people in our own family. Here's Israel, and they got a lot of problem, and look who it is that's coming bringing their problem. Their own family. Can you say amen to that one? Esau, if you look at Hebrews 12, 16, was a profane person. The NIV says godless. And that's a word that literally means to be heathenish or wicked. He lived for the world in the flesh. He despised spiritual things according to Hebrews 12, 17. He opposed his brother Jacob and threatened to kill him, if you remember that from the Genesis account. And now his descendants, the Amalekites, oppose the children of Jacob and are threatening to annihilate them. And so as far as application, our enemy, our Amalek, the flesh, despises spiritual things and wars against us. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. 
I told somebody one time in the office, I said, don't you remember what Paul said? He said, the stuff I want to do, I don't do, and the stuff I don't want to do, I do. And they said, I don't understand that. How is that? I tell you how it is, because there's a war going on. And I don't care if you're the best apostle, the best Christian on the planet, until Jesus comes back and takes you home, there's a war. The flesh does not like the things of the Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 16. I say walk by the Spirit. Why? Because you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's a war going on. And our enemy, our flesh, would undo and annihilate us. Romans 8, 5 to 6, it says that the mind that is set on the flesh is death. If you set your mind upon the things of the flesh, it is death. If you set your mind upon the things of the Spirit, it's life and peace. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't know why i got so much problem going on in my life. Because you're setting your mind on the things of the flesh. You're your own worst enemy. And so Israel warred and sought to have victory over Amalek. We have to as well over the flesh. Think about it. When was... Do you see in Scripture that the Jews ever had to fight any battles in Egypt? When did they start having to fight battles? Once they had been delivered. You see the point of application? Did you used to have to fight these battles when you were lost? No. Why? Because you were enjoying them. Why now are you having to fight them? Because you've been delivered. And now that you are associated with Jesus Christ, His enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh, are your enemies. And it's going to be that way until the King comes and brings us home. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, fighting ain't an option. We have to fight. Every one of us has to report for duty. I put in my notes, there's too many AWOL Christians. Absent without leave. And so what we have to do is we have to resist the devil, refuse the world, and renounce the flesh. Alright, so the strategy. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 25. Because you want to understand this part in Exodus 17. So turn to Deuteronomy 25. First, I'm going to give you the who, where, when, and why of this. First, the who. What well, says Amalek. They were fighters. The New Living Translation says the warriors of Amalek attacked them. I mean, these were rough-shod rednecks living off the land, skilled at fighting. They probably had good weapons and been well-trained. And then it says that they fought with Israel. They were lovers, not fighters. Really, they were slaves, right? 400 years of captivity will make you pretty passive, won't it? They've been living in the lap of luxury. You think they've been out lifting weights and training themselves to be fighters? You think they had a bunch of weapons? And you notice how long Moses gives Joshua to get ready for this fight? I mean, imagine, guys, if Marty, if that was us. If Moses came and he said, Now, Marty, there's the enemy out there, and I want you to get all the guys of Israel that have been sitting back eating bonbons in Egypt for 400 years and don't even know how to fight. I want you to get them all together, and I want you to go out there, and I want you to kick butt, and I want you to win this victory. you got one day to do it. Oh, Lord. If you don't know where the victory came from, you'll know because there's no way you could win it unless it was the Lord that did the fighting for you, right? Yeah. 
Then on top of it, they're tired, hungry, wore out. I mean, they're just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually spent and exhausted. I mean, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. So the where, that's what this tells us. Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 to 19. Moses says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you where? When you were strong, you were faint and weary. And he attacked you from where? The front? Cut off your tail from behind and those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. And so think about it. Any of us that have ever been on safari and ever seen any lions or cheetahs or leopards or anything take down game, if they go for a herd of wildebeest, do they go for the strong ones in the front? They go to the back. There's a point of application for that in a minute. The win. Well, first off, attacked them after a great victory. You ever notice that sometimes the worst attack you get is right after God's done something great in your life? Why? Why would God allow this? Didn't He love Israel? Because tests and trials, like we talked about, just like the rain, are meant to bring life and flourish and us to grow. Yes, He loved them, but He loved them too much to leave them in the shape that they were in. And so as far as application to who? Our enemies like Amalek are very strong. The devil's very strong, isn't he? And we tend to be what? Very weak. And here's the thing. Don't underestimate the devil, but you don't overestimate him either. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. What does all mean in the Greek? All. That even means resisting the devil. Where? Where is the devil going to attack you? Your weakest point. Sometimes he'll attack you at your strongest, but we talked about it this morning in Sunday school in James 1, 12-15. It says that each of us is enticed by our own desires. And the devil goes to his tackle box and he knows exactly what Marty wants to bite. That word there, enticed in the Greek, literally means a fishing lure. And he knows exactly what Marty wants to bite, and he knows exactly what Cassie wants to bite, exactly what I want to bite, and it's usually at our weakest point, and he's going to bring out that same lure that has worked for 3,000, 5,000 years, and he's going to throw it out there in the pond, and old stupid Buffy Cook, even though he knows that's his weakest point, a lot of times he's going to continue to try and bite the hook just like a bass will. And so, God would not have us to be ignorant. Learn what your weak point is and strengthen yourself in it. When? When did he attack? When you were exhausted. When does the devil come trying to just do a heyday on your life sometimes? When you are absolutely just spent. And so Jesus told us to stay awake. Stay awake constantly. And then why? I love what Dr. Wearsby says. He says, the Lord can use these attacks to keep us from trusting the gifts instead of the giver. Mm -hmm. After his victory over the four kings, Abraham was tempted to take the spoil. After the victory over Jericho, Joshua got overconfident and was beat at Ai. After Elijah defeated the priests of Baal, what did he do? I'm going to quit. 
After the blessings of his baptism, then Jesus was tempted. You know, many times I think I had put my notes this morning. What we say is it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. We just think we're the stuff, don't we? And God has to knock us down a notch or two so that we trust Him, not the gifts. All right, so look next at the victory. Verse 9, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And so this is the first mention in Scripture of Joshua. He'll be mentioned 200 times. His name means uh, Jehovah is salvation. It's the equivalent of Jesus in the Hebrew. He was Moses' servant. And so God's policy is prove yourself as a servant, then he'll promote you to a leader. Moses gives him one day to get an army and go out and get ready. And so here's Moses. He's the leader of Israel. He and Aaron and her go up on the mountain. And this is a picture of intercessory prayer. And here Moses is a type of Christ. What does Christ do? He lives in heaven to make intercession for us as we fight the battles of life. Glory, hallelujah, aren't you glad you don't have to fight the Christian life all alone that Jesus is up there fighting for you. And so he carries with him the staff of God. Is this some magic wand? I mean, it had turned uh, into a snake, ushered in the plagues, opened the Red Sea, busted the rock. It's not a magic wand. It's symbolic of God's presence, power, and intervention. And then you notice something about Moses' hands? First, they're up. What is that a symbol of? Praying, victory. He's praying. He's victorious. Israel prevailed. When they're down, what happens? He's not praying. And he's getting beat. Do you think prayer is important? I love what Tony Evans said about this. He said, some of us are throwing in the towel and we've never raised the staff. I was like, hmm. You can't say amen, say ouch. We're throwing in the towel and we've never raised the staff. And so then look, why do you think Moses got tired? Because Deuteronomy 34, 7 says, To his last dying breath, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Now I don't know about you, you ever had to hold something up? Your arms do get tired. And so there's probably some degree of physical tiredness that he had. But the point is that spiritually he was getting exhausted. Have you ever... Why do we call it spiritual warfare? Why is it... What is the, the film? War Room. To pray is warfare. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. If we pray without ceasing, that's going to be as bad as putting in a 16-hour workday, ain't it? If we pray like a pastor that said he labored fervently in his prayers, that means to strain every spiritual muscle. Samuel Zwemer, he was a missionary to the Muslim world. He used to call prayer the gymnasium of the soul. Prayer will bless you, but it'll cost you. And then we ain't got the time for me to spend on this, Aaron and Er. But I'm going to tell you, many of you do not know how much this verse has meant to me before we ever got to this. You stop smiling, Patty. I see y'all already over there smiling. Positive, Patty. That woman helped me through some of the most difficult times fighting the devil. 
for you and for me and for this church. And he took me to this passage and said, I'm going to tell you what, devil ain't going to stop kicking you, but we are not going to stop holding up your hands. And brothers and sisters, can I just stop right there and say, you need an Aaron and a her. I need an Aaron and a her. I'm up here, Jimmy's up here, week in, week out, preparing this Word for y'all to feast on, and the devil does not like it. And he's going to come, and he's going to discourage me. Byron told me, he said, Buffy, he said, I got great news for you, brother. You got two friends in ministry. Depression and discouragement, they'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's the bad news. I need you to pray for me. I need you to be my Aaron and her and hold me up. I can't do it alone. I will die. Literally. Physically. And you can't make it through the Christian life without your own Aaron and her. You need a secret sister. How applicable that we talked about that this morning. You need secret sisters. And we need secret brothers. But not really in secret. We need to be literally coming along each other and holding each other up. Amen. Why did you come to church today? I'll tell you why a lot of folks around this county went to church today. Get it over with. And show up. Put on a nice little pretentious show. Have their nice clothes on. Everybody can notice them. Down at the best church in West Tennessee. I tell you why I came here. I came here first and foremost to meet with the Lord. And second, to come with my brothers and sisters and be encouraged to make it through the next seven days because I can't make it without it. If Moses, as great as he was, couldn't make it up on that mountain for one day without an Aaron and her, don't you fool yourself that you can. And so here's what people do, they respond in one of two extremes when they're fighting for something very valuable. They either fight from the mountain only and say, well, just let God do it all. Or they fight from the valley only and they say, now God, you take a seat and I'm going to handle this on my own. And we all know how that's going to work out, don't we, coach? Then God will come in when you've messed it all up and do a salvage of it. But Moses didn't stand on the mountain and raise his rod and Joshua and the boys were down in the valley drinking tea. And Joshua and the boys weren't fighting like cats and dogs in the valley and Moses is up there eating mint chocolate chip ice cream. Mm -hmm. Joshua fought and Moses raised. It's a balance. Mm -hmm. Alright, look then finally at the testimony. Verse 14 to 16. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Who's he build altar to? Is he saying, now Joshua, you did a fantastic job. Come on up here and we're going to give you a plaque. Aaron, if you hadn't have done what you had done, come on up here. We're going to give you a plaque. Y'all remember two years ago when they had the um, rowdy check at Garland in Tizzy? She was the one. Oh, I'm the biggest giver at that church. That's what we a lot of times want. We want the plaque because we're the best person in the church. The only person that gets the glory is God. Amen. He was careful to give the glory to who? The one that won the battle, which was the Lord. 
Why does it say I'll utterly blot out the memory of Amalek? I'll tell you why. Because God is not interested in His kids having halfway victories. Now I'm picking on Marty today, but is Dr. Martin happy with you having a one-tenth victory? He wants every little cell in your body to be normal, doesn't he? No doctor in his right mind, if Amanda came to me and she had stage 3 cancer, I would not be happy with a halfway victory for her. And you definitely would not be. Why do we settle for halfway victory spiritually? Tony Evans says then what we do, we end up giving visitation rights. Now devil, I beat you most of the time, but I'm going to give you some weekend visitation rights and he's going to have a heyday. We do it too with the flesh. Well, I'm going to give some visitation rights to the world. I'm going to act like a Christian every day, but this day is the day I'm going to go and have fun. And you wonder why he likes a mess. Yeah. Alright, next, the personification. I won't spend much time on this because I really want to get to the last point. Who is the personification of Jehovah Nissi? Put in your Bibles or in your notes Isaiah 49, 22 and Isaiah 62, 10-11. Simply put, the personification of Jehovah Nissi is Jesus. In the intro, I mentioned when we hear the word banner, what comes to mind is something such as a flag, yet the word in the Hebrew literally means to glisten. If you didn't get it, Isaiah 49, 22, 62, 10-11. The word means to glisten. Like a flagpole without a flag. Here it's the staff of God, yet it wasn't the staff that glistened. Who was it? Yahweh. And so... Jesus is the staff of God. Y'all remember the story of the serpent on the pole? Israel's getting bit by snakes. God has Moses put up a pole. He says, if you look on that, then what? You'll live. Do you remember where that's quoted and who quoted it and about who? It's quoted in John chapter 3 by Jesus about himself just as the Son of Man must be lifted up so that if you look on the pole, you've been bit by the deadly snake of Satan, the world, and your flesh and sin, and you're going to die if you look up at the rod that is glistening, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is your banner, you won't die. Amen. You look at Muhammad, death. You look at yourself, you look and say foolishly, there is no God, there's nothing left for you but death. And so I'm just going to give you quickly three things you can put here in your notes. How is Jesus Jehovah Nissi? Because He's the source of purpose. You know why I see so many people have an identity crisis in their life? Because they don't really know where their true identity is and that is in Jesus Christ. I had a guy two, within the last two weeks says he's a Christian. I asked him, I said, you know why you're here on earth? He honestly literally could not answer what his purpose is. Because you never have really found your identity in Christ. He's my banner. He's my purpose. Second, He's our strength. I don't know about y'all, but I, I can't live this life. I can't possibly even come close to loving my wife like Christ loved the church without Jesus. Because otherwise it's going to be buckling and we're going on the crazy cycle every second of every day. 
He's our strength. He's our banner. And then thirdly, He's our deliverance. He's the one that has redeemed you. Alright, finally, Jehovah Nissi, the demonstration is where I want to spend really the rest of our time. If we go long on this, I don't really care because I want you to get this point. This is really the application of Jehovah Nissi. I told you Jesus is our Jehovah Nissi. So what does that look like for Him to be demonstrated in our lives? And as I was writing in my notes, I thought about, y'all ever seen like a boxer or a fighter and they win and they have a flag, they have their flag, the flag of their country, like an American fighter boxer. He'll put the stars and stripes over himself. That's his banner. That's what we literally need to do with Jesus. That when I walk out these doors, that over my life is Jesus. Because he's the banner of my life. He is Jehovah Nissi. But what does that look like? And so I'm going to give you five things. Because think about what a banner is used for or the purpose of it. And so first is banners are raised to celebrate and honor. They're raised to celebrate and honor. The first NFL game of the season, the Eagles, there was a huge celebration. You know why? Because they were raising a banner. They said Super Bowl 52 champs. Basketball, maybe they'll raise a Final Four banner for Tennessee this year. We're number six, we're way ahead of Memphis, so we got a better chance than they do. Or if you're a really good baseball player, what do they do? They retire your jersey and they raise a banner. 9-11, we have ground zero. Maybe even in a church, there's a foundation stone or a plaque that says when the church was built. Holidays, 4th of July, there's flags on the street. And so here's the application. Are we raising Jehovah Nissi, Jesus as a banner over our lives? Are we celebrating and honoring Him? Are we commemorating daily what He's done in and for us? I think some people, the only time that they celebrate and honor and commemorate what He's done for their lives is the fifth week we come together and do the Lord's Supper. Or heaven forbid you're at a church in which it does it twice a year. Brothers and sisters, if I can't celebrate and honor and commemorate that God Himself emptied Himself and came to this earth, how many of you slept on a nice pillow last night? Do you know your Savior never even had a pillow to lay His head on? He came and did that for 33 years. And said, I know that stupid boy can't do God's law. I'm going to live it perfectly. You know why He went and paid the temple tax even though the high priest was going to use it for heaven knows what? Because he fulfilled the law. And then he went to a cross and he was literally beaten, bloodied, and his heart literally bust as he gave his life for you and me. If I can't celebrate that and honor that and commemorate that every day, 
Something's wrong with me. Forget an American flag. I don't need no American flag. I need that over me to celebrate and honor it every day. Second is banners are visible. Y'all know the Allstate banner that's on the field goal thing, the net? Allstate has forked out a bunch of money for scholarships for what? Them to raise up this field goal banner. Now can you imagine they forked out all this money and then every time Alabama scores, seems they score more than anybody in the country, Alabama says, well, we're just not going to raise the Allstate net. You think Allstate would be happy with that? What if they said, well, now we've got it over here, but we're just going to leave it like, you know, we're just going to raise it two feet. We're not going to raise it all the way up. You think Allstate would be happy with that? What if the University of Alabama said, now we're going to make it camouflage so it camouflages in with all the people in the background and you really can't see Allstate? You think Allstate would be happy? You're seeing the point of application, don't you? Is Jesus raised high in our life? Is He visible? It does no good to have Him at ground level. And if people are shocked that you're a Christian because you camouflage in with other people, heaven forbid. Have we raised Him over? as the banner of our lives? Do others see Jesus in me? Do my words and actions drip with His grace and love and beckon passers-by? And then third, banners are written on. Now picture this. You go to Covenant football game Friday night against McNary Central and all the banners are just big white sheets with no writing or numbering. Or what if you were driving down I-40 and you're starving to death or you're like uh, Vicki Cook, I mean, you know, running on fumes and you literally, it says you have zero miles to empty and you're needing a gas station and all the billboards are blank. What point would that be? Further, do you think that the Southern Baptist Convention headquarters would ever fly a Christian flag with a picture of Muhammad on it? Are we raising Him as the banner over our lives? Is He written all over us? Y'all remember when your kids used to come home and they'd be written all over? Paul gives a beautiful picture of that in 2 Corinthians 3.2 and says that y'all are our letter. When people pass by, they see Jesus written all over you. When they pass by Buffy Cook, Vicki Cook, Cassie Yates, is Jesus written on our hearts to be known and read by all? And I certainly hope nobody in our church that there's people outside the church that don't know you love and follow Jesus as saving the Lord in your life. Fourth, banners communicate a message. Again, picture this. You grab... Uh, Marty and I are driving down I-40. Me, Marty, and Coach were driving down I-40 to go watch the Chargers beat Alcoa in the state championship. And I'm wanting some God's chicken, some Chick-fil-A. What do you do? You start reading the billboards. Where's the next Chick-fil-A? Now picture this. It's late. You're driving back from vacation. You're some unknown back road. You don't even know where you are. 
and you really need a monster to wake you up, what do you do? You start looking for lights, road signs that might say there's a gas station ahead. Or you need a new doctor or a dentist, what do you do? You read the ads at the back of the football program, right? I always used to trip out about that. They would come and ask Dr. Craig and I to take out an ad and we're like, we're perfectly fine doing that to help out the team. But if people are finding their doctor at the back of the football program <laughs> or their dentist, that might not be good. The point is, is Jesus a constant running advertisement communicating the gospel message to everybody around us? The prophet Habakkuk gives a beautiful picture of this. He says, and then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so it can be read on the run. When people run by Patty Yates, run. I mean, they're full-blown 440 dash and run by her. Can they go? That woman loves Jesus. Doesn't say can they walk by and take a little look. But they know instantly because we communicate that message. And here's the thing. Do you daily communicate the gospel to yourself? We think the gospel is just something for people to get saved by. The gospel fuels everything in our life, brothers and sisters. I need to speak the gospel to myself so I know how to treat my kids and how to treat my wife and how to act at work. Look back on your Facebook and your social media entries. Do they clearly communicate that you know Jesus? Do they ever share the gospel? And then finally, banners were like a standard. Think about it. If you see the UK flag, what does that mean? That Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth is sovereign over the United Kingdom. If you see a flag over United States flag over New York City, does it mean that Russia is sovereign over that city? No, America is. And so we need a standard to help us know what is true because your heart is going to lead you astray. And so, is Jesus the plumb line, the standard of our life? And also, when I raise Him as the banner over my life, what I'm saying is that all the decisions and everything about me, that the ultimate authority to help me make those decisions is Jesus. You've heard me say it before, I told our kids, look, when we got y'all at the hospital, y'all didn't come with an instruction manual. And so I'm sorry, we've messed up, I've messed up a lot. Hey, that's parenting and that's life. But what I did tell them is the closest thing that was ever given as an instruction manual is this right here. And can I tell you, I don't care if you like how the Cook household is run. One day you'll get to run your own household. But right now, buddy boy and buddy girl, we run it. And what we have decided as the banner that is raised over the Cook household and Cook family that will be the ultimate authority and the ultimate decision maker is not Vicki Cook and is not Buffy Cook, but it will be the Bible and it will be Jesus Christ. 
We as a church, we don't we we talk about it all the time. We stand on the word of God. No, you don't. It's the foundation, but you stand under it. It's the banner that's raised over it. Better be what is made every decision. And but we got people that say, "Well, I don't care if it's biblical. It ain't Baptist, and we ain't gonna do it." And this better be the flag that's raised over our church and our homes and our lives. In closing, y'all know the story of the Star Spangled Banner. September thirteenth, eighteen fourteen, there was a young U.S. attorney. He got permission to go on a British warship. He was trying to get the release of an American prisoner, and so they made him stay on the ship overnight. And so from that vantage point, he gets to see the British bombard Fort McHenry, which was guarding the entrance to Baltimore. In the dwindling light, he sees the American flag over Fort McHenry, and he's watching to see, is it still there? Has it been blown to smithereens? And he kept seeing through the red light, oh glory, oh glory. And when dawn finally broke, oh glory was still there. And so he took out an old letter from his pocket and he wrote, oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave. 204 years later, we still live under that banner today, don't we? Mm -hmm. It's more than an artifact at the Smithsonian or just some symbol. It's a banner of freedom, bravery, strength, and greatness. Can I tell you, Jehovah Nissi, that banner was raised, you could say, February 15th, 1450 B.C. 3,400 years later, God's people are still living under that banner. It ain't no fairy tale. It ain't no quaint little story in the Bible. It's a person that lives in me and in you. The only question is, whose banner are you living under? Are you more worried about being an American, a Democrat, a Republican? What your mom and daddy says? Something? Are you raising as a banner over your life, Jehovah Nissi, Jesus Christ? A banner of power, righteousness, forgiveness, freedom, love, and fellowship. I pray that we would forever and every single day of our lives flies the banner over our lives. Jesus, Jehovah Nissi, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to preach your beautiful word, Father. There's not words nor time that we have say how wonderful and amazing your word is and so thank you father for giving us a copy of it to hold in our hands today and to open it and read it and study it and digest it and father i pray that you'll take this word today and you'll just keep us awake till we apply it to our lives including myself first and foremost father thank you that jesus is our banner thank you that he gives us purpose he gives us strength and thank you most of all 
that He has delivered us from death. Father, we thank You for that. I pray as we come to this time of invitation that there's not anyone here, or if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this will be the time that they will come to know Him, the freedom and the deliverance that He can give. Pray for any other decision that needs to be made this morning as well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one day when you take your last dying breath, and can I just say that it may be a lot sooner than you think it may be, and you stand before God and give an account of your life, and He asks you, why should I allow you into my heaven? How are you going to answer? What banner are you going to raise? Well, God, I was a good person. I mean, I did, you know, I didn't kill nobody. I didn't cuss and I didn't drink and I didn't smoke. You hear that all the time? I hear people say it all the time. Oh, I'm a good person. Can I tell you that that banner won't last a second in heaven? Because the Bible is clear that there ain't a single one of us that's righteous. As we were singing earlier, I even thought about to my own salvation experience. It said that you sought me. I wasn't seeking Jesus in that closet, but He came and He sought me. I wouldn't have sought Him in a million lives. Good person don't work. Every religion on the planet says, well, let's raise the banner of good works. I mean, Marty's got a student in these that brought up something. Marty's texting me, hey, you ever heard of this? I'm like, no, I don't know what that is. What's that? Well, let's just live by these seven laws. Let's do some good stuff. That'll make us right with the Lord. How much good's good enough? And I tell you, there's only one banner that's going to be raised that day. Acts 4.12 There's only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And it ain't Buffy Cook raising Buffy Cook's banner, saying Buffy Cook was a good person and Buffy Cook did a lot of good stuff. The banner that will be raised that day is Jehovah Nissi, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know Him today? Have you truly ever believed and received His gift and repented of your sins? If you cannot say in your heart that there was ever a time in which you did that, come today and receive Him as your Lord. Maybe the way you need to fly that banner over your life is you need to become a member here. Or maybe you've never followed through with believer's baptism. Or maybe there's just something that I said this morning that struck and you want to come down, you want to pray, either alone or with myself, I'll be happy to pray with you. But as we stand and sing, listen to the Lord as He speaks to you this morning. Stand. Turn page 571. While passing through this world of sin And others your light shall be Be clean and pure without within Let others see Jesus in me 
Faithful and true 